Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar, thanks for tuning in to episode number 214. We're coming back today with part two of our conversation with Michael Whitehead, Head of Agribusiness Insights at ANZ, about the pathways to capturing opportunities in agriculture. So go back and listen to last week's episode if you haven't already caught it, because today we're looking forward to the outlook to 2030 and mapping out the main areas on which the sector will need to focus to achieve its full potential, including investment flows, ag tech, sustainability, trade and advocacy. Before we get into the episode, though, a few things to note from the markets this week. The livestock markets did get a welcome price boost in the last reported week of sales for the year. The Eastern Young Cattle Indicator ended the year at 901 cents, which is 23% lower year on year. And the Eastern States Trade Lamb Indicator ended at 720, which is down 12% year on year. The positive sentiment also continued to build in the wool market from easing COVID restrictions in China, with the Eastern Market Indicator gaining 49 cents over the week to 1,327 cents, which is just 2% below the same time last year. On grains, there were no major moves in local wheat cash prices on last week, although international futures prices are rallying on the back of fears of freezing damage in the US. So APW cash prices are currently sitting around 13% higher than the same time last year. Thanks for listening in. I'll hand over to Michael Whitehead and Robert Herman. So number two in your pathways and, and the future directions is um, it relates to technology. And there's no doubt that agriculture in Australia over the years has um, been at the forefront of a lot of technology. But of course, that's getting... The, the race is getting faster and faster and the pace is hot, isn't it? Look, that is the case. And, and it's interesting when you think about agricultural technology, because we all know farmers in our, in our networks that we know who are absolutely embracing certain parts of it, trying things, early adopters, I suppose you'd call them in marketing mm -hmm. terms. Um, and often they may be of a bigger scale. So they're in a position to afford some of these and then by and large doing well out of them, uh, whether that's reduced inputs, reduced water usage, um, reduced labor as well. The fact of the matter is that there is still a reasonable amount of technology out there that perhaps a lot of farmers aren't aware of. Um, and they're very, farmers are very busy. So how to find the, the time and the opportunity to become aware of what may be affordable to you, relevant to you, useful to you as well. Uh, society's changed. We don't have the same kind of outreach programs or Department of Primary Industry programs that we had in so many states of Australia before. But uh, it really needs to be looked at. And it's interesting where the responsibility comes from. Government, industry bodies, rural services, banks, whoever it may be, to get that message out as to what might be applicable for farmers in any part of ag tech and what may make uh, things better for their businesses as well. And look, also on, on the other side of that, there is that continuing amount of new technology coming out and so many different forms of things, as we say, whether it's the machinery side, uh, whether it's the irrigation side, so many other things. Perhaps we also need to look at the regulatory side of this as well. How can we make sure that government works with industry uh, to ensure that, that so much of this is able to get through the processes and paths to be able to utilize, be utilized by farmers even faster? So, so look, it, it's a team approach, but we have to keep using more of it. 
Now, talking about new ideas and new things, um, the conversation around sustainability is very is, is very real, and it's come at it with a rush. But you know, those in agriculture know that farmers have been to the best of their ability, operating sustainably for a long time. But I like the point that, uh, or the spin that you guys put on it in your pathways to the future, and that is that sustainability for the purposes of economic advancement. And, and that makes a lot of sense, Michael. Do you want to just elaborate a little bit on that? You could argue, Rob, that if the controversial discussion 10 years ago in Agri was foreign investment and what do we think about it, perhaps the controversial one at the moment is sustainability and what do farmers think about it as well. And once again, in comparing the two discussions, are we all losing too much sleep over this? And is it something we've always been involved in? As you absolutely say, every good farmer has always had sustainability as part of what they do even if we and they weren't using those words or thinking actively about it. Uh, sustainability is part of being able to make sure your operation can uh, continue growing and being productive for years and decades and generations ahead. So we are going to have on the, the other side of things that farmers deal with new areas of sustainability. This could be around new regulations. They are inevitably going to come in, uh, whether from different governments, whether as part of trade agreements that require them, whether you're off takers, whether it's supermarkets, processes, et cetera, require you to change your ways. That's just life. That's going to happen. Um, so rather than looking upon that as a negative, how can farmers and agribusinesses see that as a positive uh, and look to whether it's get a premium, uh, whether to gain certain areas of, of efficiency, make the most of that. The other big discussion point, and it's far, far from resolved, but it will continue to be part of it, is around carbon, whether it's greenhouse gases, whether it's carbon capture, whether it's carbon credits. That discussion has a long way to go, but it will rapidly become a bigger and bigger discussion. There will be some agricultural operators who look to be able to take advantage of that as a, as a revenue raiser. There will be discussion as to whether many in the industry should be continuing to sit back and take it all in, in case regulations get to a point where farmers themselves have to utilize uh, carbon capture to become net zero or, or lower their emissions in, in their own operations as well. But as they're going to be there, perhaps these also need to be utilized in once again, can I use this to increase my grain productivity? Can I use this and tie it into my stocking rotations to increase productivity there as well? So it's going to be there. Things are going to change. Don't look upon it as a negative, but look upon it as where are there going to be opportunities in terms of what I sell or where are there going to be opportunities in terms of the way I run things as well? Now, point number four on your pathways is a really important one because we are a major exporter of product. I mean, without exports... Um, we just don't have an industry as successful as that, as we have in the ag space right now. But a lot of the work that needs to be done there is, is by governments and by industries. And, and your comment there is that the future pathway should include an effort to try and improve trade landscape. Is that just to say keep doing as we're doing or are there things that we need to think about that we aren't doing? Well, once again, let's go back 10 years. Let's go back to the start of 2010s. If we can, and oh, we're thinking at the time, we think China is probably going to, you know, uh, eat a lot more, is going to need a lot more agriculture. Perhaps we should start positioning ourselves for that. And we think that about the ASEAN markets 10 years ago, whether it's Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, so many of those, and it happened. 
Um, and we worked hard. We were competitive with other agricultural exporting countries in the world, but we worked hard to get a very good position in those markets. It hasn't always been easy, but we've done very well out of it. We need to do a couple of things as we're highlighting in this report. There are new markets or current markets which are very likely to grow rapidly in their demands, uh, in the volume of food and in changes in food. India is a major one. Um, yes, uh, India is not always a, a big importer of food, but it can be at times, and it has a massive middle class growing, which reflects the, the growth in, in China, perhaps in the last 10 or 20 years. Other markets like Vietnam as well will continue to grow even more rapidly in the kinds of foods they want, and we're right there as well and the Middle East too, um, rapidly growing needs and changing needs. And, and those, those markets are different. India, particularly on the grain and horticulture one, the Middle East on the meat one, uh, places like Vietnam for both of those. At the same time, and you said keep doing what we're doing, well, also keep our relationships as strong as we can. The China relationship has been volatile absolutely make sure the dialogue on Australian agriculture remains uh, pragmatic, uh, remains constructive, um, and we continue to look at opportunities there. And I suppose the last point is diversifying where we are looking. I talked about those other markets, but what are the opportunities that will continue to come out of the EU as things change there, uh, that will continue to come out of the US? They're going through different cycles there with their cattle herd going down. What are our opportunities there? So continue to try and enhance those opportunities as they grow. Well, that's, um, I mean, I think that all makes a lot of sense. And um, Michael, it's great to have you on board here talking about these things, especially when you've got the support of the ANZ putting out this really good, um, this really good report, Global um, Greener Pastures number two. The fifth advocacy though, really, I think I just felt that that pointed the finger a little bit at our farmers and saying there's an opportunity here, and that is advocacy and industry cohesion. And by and large, you know, Australian farmers are very independent people, and we know that the farmer organisations have struggled to engage them. What are the opportunities if we do continue to build that advocacy and, and industry cohesion? Rob, it doesn't really point the finger at farmers. It points the 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 finger, well, if it does that, um, at everybody who's involved across the agri-landscape to recognise that things are changing and, and to a degree, how do we keep the debate going but work together? Let's, let's take two steps back in your point. We all remember when there were a lot more farmers and we obviously are in a position in Australia where we are getting bigger properties and less farmers. Um, that, that is the situation. But when there were more farmers, you had more of a capacity to have lots more farmer groups, state ones, federal ones, with lots more active involvement. The, the numbers just aren't there anymore, uh, and people are busier as well. In terms of going forward, we have a lot of debate in this industry. We always have. And when you have debate and constructive debate, that leads to good outcomes. All opinions come out. Uh, not everybody's happy, but you go forward in, in trying to have arrived at some of the best possible conclusions, whether it's on regulation, whether it's on trade relationships, um, whether, whether it's on how the industries are structured. What we're really saying on this going forward is that uh, whether, whether it's domestically on issues such as so much water policy 
Um, and that's going to be a very big one going forward, and that is noticed globally by investors. How close are we to cohesion in our water policy? Uh, whether it's around some of the sustainability regulations, which will change in Australia. Uh, how much is the industry together on discussing those? And not just farmers, but uh, whether it's farmer groups, whether it's down the supply chain, the processors, the retailers, the exporters, whether it's the banks, whether it's government as well, the industry needs to come together and work very constructively to try and arrive at conclusions on some of these to go forward. Because once again, if we go back to the global marketplace, we are competing with the Europeans, with the Americans, with the New Zealanders, with some terrific agri-production countries who have some very uh, sophisticated uh, agri-bodies in them as well, and very sophisticated trade marketers and trade negotiators, So, and very sophisticated at attracting investment. So we need to continue to lift our game on that side as well. Now, I, summing up, I had a look back through the reports. And, and as I said earlier, Michael, Greener Pastures 1, which came out in 2012, identified a lot of challenges. It was almost a little bit of trepidation that, you know, we really had to get things right and get going. But Greener Pastures 2, 10 years later, I mean, it's identifying that agriculture has momentum, it has opportunities and it's positioned to step up to the next level. I mean, this is a wonderful position to be in right now, Michael. It, it absolutely is. And, and when you take all those factors that we talked about, the, the fact that the investment, the capital is so keen to be part of it. And when you have new investment coming in, um, you can do so much with your operation. And that's right down the supply chain. Uh, the fact that we have so many enthusiastic people who want to be part of agriculture. Uh, once upon a time, we worried whether people would come in. Now we worry about how to find opportunities for so many people as well. The fact, and I, I talked about it as well, that um, maybe COVID helped some of this as well. The fact that the regions are changing, uh, and rather than being a series of parts of Australia with a capital city and farms a long way from that, that we have so many growing regions uh, with ideas coming out of there as the, the regions build up and people want to be part of that. Uh, the fact that, uh, yes, while we have volatility of production we, with weather and other things as well, we continue and continue to see better yields, uh, we continue to see better production levels, and that going forward, everything is looking really positive. So, so look, the outlook is good. It, it will have its challenges, um, but we are in a terrific position. Uh, as we're saying this, it is a, a very good time to be in agriculture. Um, it'll be challenging at times going forward, um, but all of the industry um, will need to work together to continue to make the most of this. Well, that sounds like a really good place to sum up. Thank you very much, Michael. You're a great source of uh of uh, ideas and, uh, and, and resource analysis. So thank you very much for joining us on Commodity Conversations today. And we look forward to perhaps Greener Pastures 3. Looking forward to it. We'll have this discussion in 10 years. And thanks again to you, Rob, <laughs> and to everyone at Mercado. Thank you. 